1: And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. And we're going to get to the market update, but I want to address something personal, um, and not and not long. So bear with me here. But um, I mentioned this in the in the three minute lead in <clears throat> that doing this show and doing it again. These things seem to happen in bunches, but doing it with a heavy heart today. Um, My family lost a a dear member, uh, my 28 year old cousin Michael. Um, Brilliant. Uh, PhD from Yale, undergrad at NYU. Just a brilliant and and effervescent personality. Um, You know, I remember the day that he was born uh twenty eight years old, far far too far too young to leave us and just left a horrendous hole. I spent time with his parents last night and um was just gonna be missed. He was um just a beautiful human being and I'm gonna miss him dearly and um so many others are so again we're still gonna have a, a good show upbeat. It's it's not gonna be sad the whole time, but I'd just re- be remiss if if I didn't mention michael and and um just how upsetting that this is and how much that he'll be missed and um i i you know just god's got him um but yeah it's it's been a it's been a it's been a tough one and recently the loss of our good friend dory as well it's been a tough deal but but michael was a writer and um and I don't want to get too personal into, you know, you guys don't need to know about families and you know everything that's going on in my family life and all that kind of stuff. But he's an incredibly talented writer. And uh, the last article that he put out, um, I want to read an excerpt from it because um, I think it's beautiful. And I think it has a message for all of us to learn from. Uh, and so this is an expert from it. This is his, his language, not mine. I have spent most of my life swearing I would never find common ground and common cause with those who wish my friends and me harm for being who we are or believing what we believe. But recently, I've begun to wonder what would happen if I did. And I wonder further what would happen if I did so radically without an agenda, not intending to change their minds, but merely to demonstrate to them and to myself that there is a lot more than we share than what we do not. Perhaps grace is our tutor in love. Perhaps the recognition of our commonality, our banality, our everydayness as subjects is the bridge to the world in which we come to celebrate and glory in our differences. Perhaps the reorientation I am proposing could make of mortal enemies respectful neighbors. Um, That's just a quick blip from a lot of the incredible writing that he did. But I thought that was so apt as his last entry because I think what he just wrote in that message – is so pertinent to all aspects of society. I think it's pertinent to our political discussions. I think it's pertinent pertinent to our societal discussions. I think it's a beautiful way that we should all be striving to live. Right? To be finding common ground in the way that we can love and understand as opposed to just color somebody as hateful or a bigot or a freedom hater. You know what I mean? We rely so much on these labels that we throw on everybody. And I hate even using the word labels because it, it, it reminds me of you have to love yourself. Like it's, it's so clichy right? And so cliche and so, you know, so I, I don't mean it in that way. But just reading it in, in the wake of losing that, that precious soul, reading that um, excerpt just made me smile because um, I think the world could use a lot more of what Michael's talking about. I know I certainly could. Um, so anyway… So God rest your soul and, um, you'll be missed. Any yeah, just tough. These things seem to come in bunches. Um, anyway, so moving on, uh, got to keep moving forward, right? Um, markets seems kind of small to talk about them in light of something like that, but Hey, we got, we got to keep moving forward. We got, we got a job to do. So, um, really not much has changed guys. And, and it, You know, I see Kramer out there talking about it's a new bull market. I know that I'm taking uh, an inordinate amount of flack on social media because I have been quote unquote proven wrong um, based on where markets are at. Now, there's an aspect of that that I would agree with, meaning that I said, guys, if all indexes close above the 200 day moving average, all bets are off. But, but if you notice, I said all bets are off. I didn't say that that ices it one way or the other. It doesn't say it's new bear market or bull market. It doesn't mean that we're about to plunge into a deeper bear market. I just said all bets are off, and you've got to be careful. I also said that I would be pulling the hedges. I did that. But just this last week, we put them back on. And the reason we put them back on um, is based on not this week we just came through, but the week before. When I saw the Carvanas rallying the way they were, when I saw the trash leading to the upside, I just looked at that and I went, wait a second, this isn't a new bull market. And why do I say that? This is somewhat anecdotal, guys, but basically, bear markets never end being led out of the bear market by exactly what led you into it, okay? Furthermore, signs of short squeezes and you know meme stock buying – action that we've seen in Tesla, the demand for zero date to expiry options, zero DTE options, all of these things are synonymous and and are part of the environment we've been in for the last two years. They are not things that reflect the current environment with rates where they're at, with economic indicators being where they're being, with multiple compression basically across the board, which we warned you about multiple times, what happens is interest rates go up. So once again, what I'm looking for, and like we've talked to you about, I think one of the most important things to think about rather than an individual trade is understanding the market, sitting back and going, what's going on and understanding when the environment has changed. One of the things I learned up in the lead up to COVID in the last 15 years was don't try to arbitrarily pick when things are going to change. When you're in a cycle, recognize that cycle. And if you want to know when that cycle is coming to an end or is changing, look for the environment to change, right? Every economic environment benefits certain things and hurts others. And when you're in an economic environment, let's say 15 years or 13 years, where tech companies really at any price are the winning investment, rather than myopically focusing on those tech companies, what we really should be doing is studying the environment that we're in. What about this environment is making those the best investment? And if you want to know when we're changing, look for that environment to change to where it no longer favors tech, or maybe it just favors something else more, i.e., 0% interest rates are going to favor stocks that are less profitable but have greater growth metrics. Why? Why? Because the cost of being in something that does not produce a lot of profit is much smaller when a government bond is paying you one and a half percent as opposed to when it's paying you four. Right? That guaranteed return you're getting on the government bond when it's one point five, you're not even keeping up with the inflation rate. So you may as well pony up and go into some big growth stocks. Now when you're making a risk free four to four and a half, right, it's that it raises the bar. The growth metrics need to be better. The profitability needs to be better because now I'm not passing up one and a half percent. I'm passing up four to four and a half. It's a big difference. And so you look for that environment to change. Why did we think that environment was changing at the end of 2021? Because rates were going up and inflation was ramping. It was the complete inverse of the environment that we've had. Why am I still, why do I still believe that we are not out of this bear market and that We probably have new lows to plummet some point this next year because the market is still behaving or acting as if. It is still the stocks getting the biggest run-ups, right, are all of the things that led in the last environment that benefit and do the best in 0% interest rates with low inflation. So in my opinion, investors are still looking through the lens of the previous cycle and are not adjusting. Or perhaps it's because they think that the Federal Reserve is about to r- cut rates again, and we're going to go right back to that same environment. I, I just don't see that happening at all. I don't think you're going to have runaway inflation. I, I don't think that it's going to be some you know, hyperinflationary scenario, which I've said that many times on the show. But the environment is completely different. It no longer benefits those things. The other thing is I think that those things are reaching the end of their growth cycle, meaning they're not going to stop growing. But I think the big exponential growth from so much of these tech companies is over. Like not over, over, over as it's going away. I'm just saying I don't think you're going to see a lot of these companies continue to grow at 35 to 45% revenue. And you can really see that across the board in these earnings reports that have come out. Have they been devastating? No. In a lot of ways, these earnings reports have been slightly better than I would have expected. But there's one thing that I wasn't putting into my calculus. I was not paying enough attention. I, I, I was caught looking at the wrong thing too. Meaning, and Chase Taylor, our, our analyst obviously, has been right on the money with this. I really thought that you'd start seeing those recessionary pressures show up in earnest in the fourth quarter. Um I now am more much in line with Chase's thinking of saying that you're going to really start seeing it come to the front and the fore in the first and second quarters. Um, what, and the reason why is not because the economic outlook is different, but what I forgot was there is a lot of strength, and we've talked about this before, but there's still a lot of strength in the GDP reports and the economic reports that are coming out that really reflect activity that was happening a year, year and a half, two years ago. I mean, look at automobiles, right? The, the margins, the profits these guys are, are 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 reporting are really based on the companies, or the, the cars they were selling at $7,000 in excess of MSRP over a year ago, right? They're just delivering them now, and I really didn't pay enough attention to that, meaning that. The backlog, the supply chain disruptions, because guys, remember, even if you were to pay, like let's say you put 80% down on a car a year and a half ago that you ordered that you're just now taking delivery of it. That revenue can't get recognized on an accounting basis until that car is delivered, right? So what I'm saying is that a lot of these earnings you're seeing on the companies that are beating, quote unquote beating, is not based on what's happening right now. It's based on what took place over a year ago. Right. So that that's juicing the GDP numbers and juicing the economic output numbers. But it's not reflective of what's going on right now. Right. This environment has shifted. Now, again, do we still need to be careful? Yes, because at the end of the day, we're not going to blindly just follow our read on things and ignore the market. Right. That's a good way to get blown up. Right. Because the market will tell us when we're wrong. And a good, like I said, a good mile marker for me of us being wrong was if all indexes could close and hold above their 200-day moving averages. But that's not an exact science, especially not when you're in a bear market, right? Technicals can, Technical analysis can be very deceiving in a bear market. The other thing is, is even though we got above it, we're losing steam, right? I want to see a breakout. I want to see it thrust out of that down that downturn with – with conviction, right? And that's not at all what's happening. The other thing too is I think because the indexes are not telling the full story. For instance, I thought right around that 200-day moving average looking at the chart that Apple would be right at its resistance level, which is about 158 on Apple. Well, Apple topped out this last week at about 154, even though the NASDAQ was above its 200-day moving average. The reason why I think that's important is if you're looking at Apple and Google and Microsoft, right, the big tech plays. Even if even if the even if the Nasdaq is above its 200-day moving average and those big heavyweights on that index are not above their resistance marks or their individual 200-day moving averages, I don't want to say it doesn't matter. All of these things matter. But really, I think it's I think what you're seeing is another fake breakout in markets because it, now, if Apple was breaking out to 160, 161, because 158 has sort of been a line in the sand for that one for like the last year. If it was breaking out, I'd pay more attention to it. The, and the reason why I think that's important is no matter what the Nasdaq's doing, if those top five stocks don't confirm it, they're going to drag it down. So I don't at all think we're out of the woods. I think that this is and, – and it makes sense to me. I, we've talked about this too. I just We've expected Extreme. So if we thought it testing the 200-day moving average is extreme, we we, we, we said it, if we're right, it'll probably still go above the 200-day moving average because everything about this market has been extreme, and I don't see that ending, You know, right? In the last three years, you've hit peak record volatility. You've had the fastest drop in the history of markets. You've had one of, if not the fastest, ascension of markets. You've had the greatest short-term option buying. You've seen the greatest shorts. Everything has been extreme. And I think that's reflective of the monetary environment. I think it's reflective of the cultural environment. We are just living in a very extreme time generally. So I would expect, quote-unquote, the mother of all bear markets. Furthermore, I wouldn't be shocked to see the NASDAQ break out to 13,000 plus and for it still not to have found its lows. Could I be wrong? Absolutely. But I just think that this has all the hallmarks of, a, of another bear market rally. And, and we can go right down into the earnings, too. Look at Apple. Was it a bad quarter? They just announced no. But revenues were down 5% year over year. Revenues. Right? Look at Microsoft. Look at Amazon. Look at Google. Similar, similar reports. Right? Similar slowdowns in their businesses. Now, I, I, can't, I don't know this for sure. But I, I don't think Apple has had a year-over-year year decline in revenues at any point over the cycle. And if they have, it's only been one. I, I, I think. Something in my mind tells me maybe they had a revenue decline. But I don't think they have. Why is that important? Well, then we look at Google's results. right? Then we look at Amazon's results. If you want a really good look through into the economy and then throw Intel in there. right? If you want a really good look through in the economy... Look at the number 1 seller of the most popular consumer good, Apple, the iPhone. Look at the biggest online marketplace in the world, Amazon. Look at the biggest search engine and search ad seller in the world, Google. Right? Look at Facebook, selling Facebook ads. It's different cuz they got the metaverse thing going on. And then Intel selling chips. What do all those have in common? Declining margins? Declining revenue. Slowdowns. Right? In the modern economy, when you see those stalwarts slowing down, when you see Apple with a 5% year-over-year decline in revenue, how do you think that's going to hit other companies? Think about the priority in spending that a new iPhone is. And if you're watching their revenues decline, and if you're watching Amazon's revenues decline, and their growth rate's radically slowing. First, the first thing you need to do is sit there and go, okay. well, how is that going to feed out to other parts of the economy? And my my assertion would be if those stalwarts, if those behemoths are struggling, I would expect a lot more companies in pretty much every avenue of the economy to be struggling worse. I think that's what you're going to see over the coming quarters, especially as these backlogs are burned through, which they almost all are at this point. And I, I mean, I think that's giving you the full story. Right? It certainly fits into our macroeconomic outlook. And then the other question you got to ask yourself is, let's get outside of that. Let's just look at their growth rates. Let's take Netflix, for example. Look at the big run Netflix stock has been on. Go look at the valuation of that thing. It's now trading at 41, 40, 41 times earnings. Okay, Even though management came out and guided for 4% revenue growth next year. You're going to pay 41 times earnings with interest rates of 5%. For a company growing at four percent that has continually struggled to show consistent ability to pre- create profit, why? That doesn't even make sense. Now, when, when Netflix is growing at fifteen to twenty-five percent a year in a zero percent interest rate world with sporadic profit, a thirty-five to forty times earnings, it's still rich, but it makes a little more sense. But now that growth rate's down to four, what are you paying for? a year, that's like a fast food restaurant, a mature fast food restaurant. Chipotle Mexican Grill is growing faster than that, right? So I, I, you know, we've still, and this goes into my whole point about I think investors are looking through the wrong lens. They're still willing to pay multiples of the last cycle, even though those companies are not growing as fast. We're not projecting that they're not going to grow as fast. They're not growing as fast. So why would you pay up for it? I don't know. But if you do, I think it's going to be continual pain. If you do, I think you're going to get hit more. Could I be wrong? Yes, I've said that before. But I'm just looking at guys. The environment has changed. And when I hear all this talk about a new bull market, that's also the other thing you don't hear at a new bull market. Right? When new bull markets start, everybody's pessimistic. That couldn't be the case. Everybody is still missed out or still concerned about missing the upside. Just think about it. Be intellectually honest. Is your greatest concern about a collapse or missing out on another sporadic, nonsensical run to the upside? You're like, well, yeah, I'm worried about missing out on another getting left at the station, right? The bus leaving without me, as one of my clients put it. But um, I keep getting uh, questions on this topic. And, you know, from listeners, from clients, from pretty much everybody. um, It's actually surprising to me. So. it's real estate, you know, asking about the state of real estate, it's kind of funny sounding, the state of real estate, Um, a little bit of a tongue twister there, Um, you know, is this a good time to buy a house? Uh, You know, should we, you know, all the different things surrounding it. And, you know, when I hear what's going on in the media uh, or I hear the, you know, read different articles about it, I, I just think, there is so much conflicting data, so let's just make this as simple as possible. Um, the issue you have in real estate is not people being afraid of higher rates or worried that rates are going to go higher or worried about recession or this or that. What's happening in real estate, guys, is really, really simple, okay? When you look at the cost of houses and you look at the cost of financing, there is a big mismatch. It is too expensive. Okay, and what do I mean by too expensive? Well, again, let's make it really simple. What, le, le, who's shopping for the house? You know, I don't know if this is exactly the way it plays out, but I bet you it's not far off. Okay? I would say that the biggest percentage of buyers out there are a family of four, right? probably looking at somewhere around $150,000 a year income, okay? and you know they want a family home. Okay, well, if we go look at what a family home is for a family of four, let's say, you know, 2,200 square feet and up on average. Again, I mean, that's not a, that's, that's a, that's a good size house, but you know what I mean, just on average. And we look around in my neck of the woods, and, you know, depending on where it's at and the shape it's in, obviously, but, you know, a nice home ready to be lived in by a family, suitable for family living, all that kind of stuff, 2,200, 2,500 square feet in that ballpark. I mean, you're looking at five to $600,000, you know, I know there's eight places, but I, I don't think that's a crazy estimate for most markets in the country. Certainly not around here. Now, I know Seattle's one of the most rich ones, but you guys get my drift, right? And then the other thing, too, is you just think about it and you go look at look at the wage growth. People are like, oh, wage growth is so strong. Yeah, historically speaking, it's strong. It's cooling really quick. Okay, but if we were worried about houses accelerating at these rates... What you know, continue to go up, right? Resume the bull market trend as so many people talk about. What would wage growth have to be to keep up for it? Nobody would be able to, I mean, nobody can afford a house right now. That's why people aren't buying them. You know, the, there's this illusion out there that people just don't want to, you know, they just don't want to, there's interest rates are too high. They're just going to wait for them to come down. That's not the issue. If they can get funded, if they can get financed at those rates, considering that debt to income and all that kind of stuff, if they can get financed, you know, they got a big down payment, obviously, that helps. A lot of them do because they're selling a house and using equity. But still, if they can get financed, you're still t- sucking up a disproportionate amount of the income. right? That's a, that's income that's not going to be spent elsewhere. And it's kind of like 07, 08 In that in that way. It reminds me of that because you, it, I think this gets really simple. If this doesn't pull back and continues to accelerate, who's going to be able to afford to buy a house? Only the big rich funds, the big rich people, right? So anyway, um, I don't think we're there yet. I think you best to sit and wait. All right, we've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're going to get into our next segment as quick as I return, or as soon as I return. So stick with us through the break. This is Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com.
0: This is Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham. Listen to Zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement. Get your free copy of Zach's new booklet, Common Sense Investing. Go to KnowYourRiskRadio.com.
2: We're talking with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, I know you and Bulwark are laser-focused on risk management. What is the biggest risk right now as you see it?
1: Ironically, bonds.
2: Really? Why?
1: Due to all the money printing from central banks in the long period of zero interest rates, some serious inflation is hit. I'm sure you're aware and inflation crushes bonds. We've been talking about it for seven years. If your portfolio has a significant portion of bonds, you may need a bond replacement strategy. You do need one. Get our free booklet, Common Sense Investing, to learn about Bulwark's Bond Replacement Strategy. This shows you how to protect your retirement against loss, but still get market gains. Our goal is the highest returns with the least amount of risk and cost.
2: Call now for your free copy of Zach's new version of Common Sense Investing. Learn about Bulwark's Bond Replacement Strategy. 866-779-RISK or go to KnowYourRiskRadio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client services agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC registered investment advisor.
0: You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management.
1: And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us. So again, based on the way I started the show with the personal family issues and the losses that that we took this year, this week uh, as a family. Um, Tracy and I were not able. I I've been out obviously dealing with family stuff all week, so we didn't have the chance to get together and make that interview happen. Uh, That will be taking place next week. I'm hoping the goal right now is to drop two of those interviews. We got a little backlog. We're going to try to catch up. Um, So stick with us. Those interviews are going to be pending. But um, in light of that discussion, there were some funny moments in the state of the union address. My favorite, obviously, I'm sure if you watched it, you could probably figure out without too many hints what my favorite part was. Um, and I thought it was historic, honestly. Meaning, when Biden made his comment about oil, and, you know, we're probably going to need oil for at least another decade, or we're probably going to need it for another decade. Um, I, it's the only time in my memory... And maybe it's happened before, but it's the only time that I remember where a sitting president made a comment like that at the State of the Union address to no applause from his own party and just hysterical laughter from the opposing party. And I could be wrong. Maybe it's happened before. I just do not recall it. And I understand why they were laughing. It was a funny statement. I mean, you know, a lot of them were probably laughing because they, you know, they want to shoot their political shot at Biden. I get all that. But I'm just saying it was a funny comment where you're looking at him going, you think? Like, seriously? That That's your projection. We need oil for another decade? Okay. Yeah, Joe, how about another decade times three or four? Okay, okay. conservatively. Um, Not to mention the incredible amount of petroleum and oil that's needed to make a lot of these green energies. We're not even going to get into that. But um, – what a train wreck that was! I, I and I didn't watch it. I just read about it and, and saw some highlights. I can't subject myself to this madness anymore, guys. Um, it's yeah. I I've gotten to the point where I'm just like, look, what's the point, right? It's just distracting. It gets you ticked off, you know. Um, yeah, it's just nonsense. But no, I just, I thought, I thought that that was, I thought that that was pretty funny. Another one that I thought was pretty interesting. This wasn't State of the Union. But, and again, this isn't me trying to be over political. We're not going to get too political. Like I've said, this isn't a political show, it's an investment show. But I just couldn't help myself. One of the other ones I thought was really funny was um, AOC going off on, uh, it almost looked like she was like preaching or something. Um, I just wish people were more mature. I'm so tired of dealing with this childlike immaturity and people applauding it. You know, I mean, at least categorize it for what it is. You're acting like an idiot. This is the, the Congress. We don't need you to act like you're some fired up preacher, you know, with your hand motions and all this kind of nonsense, but sitting there saying this is an attack on women of color because Ilhan Omar was pulled off that committee. And my response to that was, is it an attack on women of color? Or is it called politics? 'Cause call me crazy. But when any party takes over the Speaker of the House or you know, any Chamber of Commerce, the Sen or, or the Congress, the, either the House of Representatives or the Senate, usually the Speaker of the House or the Senate Majority Leader, they like to put people that have similar political beliefs and theologies on their committees, right? Kind of the winner gets the spoils kind of deal. I mean, I, I know that sounds crazy, but if, if, if a party takes over the House of Representatives and they appoint a Speaker of the House, usually that Speaker of the House likes to appoint people to committees that, 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 that share their similar beliefs and philosophies. And, and, and furthermore, how did Ilhan Omar get on that committee? Was she appointed by Nancy Pelosi, Democrat Speaker of the House? And look, I know that this stuff gets used by both sides as political fodder, but it's just gotten to a point where it's nauseating to me because you're bringing in serious allegations of bigotry when you know that that's not what it is, right? And there's an irresponsible aspect of that that's gotten me very angry with the current political environment and the discord that's happening in the political realm because yeah, you know, this is nothing new, obviously, but we're just going to throw bigotry and an attack on – we're just going to throw it at everything. We're sitting there going wait, – wait. and it's just – and the reason I don't like it is because when you get to this level, when, when – you know, it's nothing new for politicians to obfuscate what's going on or, or the blame or where the blame should be placed. That's nothing new. That's, that's plain politics. But when that obfuscation becomes the indictment of another person or another party's character – to a very deep level where you're calling them a bigot or a misogynist you're making political discourse or productive political discourse impossible and it's disingenuous at best she's off the commit well first of all i you know she's not exactly speaking of Ilhan Omar she's not exactly a non-controversial political figure a but b She's a Democrat, and and the Republicans just won the Speaker of the House role. Anyway, I I just get so absolutely sick and tired of all of this nonsense. And you're and you know, I think that I think the thing that bothers me the most is how many people believe it, and it's just laziness, right? Where we just everything that moves is bigotry and racism and misogyny. You're like, you know, I. And don't misread me. I'm not saying that I like any of those things, obviously. I just I I I just think that they're overblamed. It's just this is ridiculous. It's it's laughable. Right? Like engage your brain. If you get to the point where every single question is answered with the exact same answer, you're not thinking. And that should be no right, like I'm talking about Washington Washington D C and thinking. That's probably my first that's probably my first problem um but but getting but getting back a, on the investment side of things um the you know we've obviously spoken about the state of the markets and where we're at on a technical basis, and we've got to keep looking out for these things. I'll tell you another thing that that I think is um uh is confirming to me or that it, at this point is confirming to me it's it's watching junk debt and corporate debt. And looking at the levels it's trading at. And right now, corporate debt, it's kind of weird. It's kind of a tale of two cities. I, I think treasuries in general, especially when you consider the inversion and the way yields have pulled back despite the fact. So, so the Fed has now raised, I, I, I want to say, 225 basis points now. And... Mm-hmm. Over the course of the last 225 basis points and hikes, the yield on the 10-year has gone from a high of about 4.3 down to like three five three seven ish And I think that's confused a lot of people. I still think that that's the bond market sniffing out the coming recession. Um, now, what's odd is that corporates and junk debt have caught a bit at the same time. That's another reason why I don't think that this is over, because you still haven't seen, in my opinion, a blowout in spreads between corporates, corporate debt, and U.S. government debt. And I've explained that before, but when we go into a recession, and I believe this has happened 100% of the time in recessions, but don't quote me on that, um, we see a blowout in spreads. We see the yields on government treasuries go down, and we see the yields on – corporate treasuries and junk and high-yield treasury or, or or bonds, we see the yields on those go up. And when you see that blow out, when you see rates on corporates go way up and rates on treasuries go way down, that usually is a dynamic that happens at or close to a bottom. We're not anywhere close to that yet. And I just can't, with, with interest rate increases and debt levels we see, I just... I will not buy that this is over until I see a real blowout in spreads. And we really haven't seen that yet. We've seen what could start to be the beginning of that. And this goes back to my assertion of I want to see behavior change for me to really believe that we're in a bull market. Uh, the other reason why i don't think, and i 'm not going to belabor this point, but the other reason why i don 't think we are is if you listen to a lot of the bullish arguments they're still just pointing to technicals. nobody's talking about falling revenues and falling earnings. nobody's talking about what type of harbinger the the, the quarterly reports we've just seen out of companies like Apple and Google and microsoft they we haven't heard, you don 't hear any extrapolation of that and and, and you've got to be careful when you 're extrapolating data on things like stocks but this is why this was so important to me. I just don't think that there are very, there are very few companies that give us the type of look through into the economy that Apple, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, uh, and Intel do. Right? I mean, you think about those companies, and they're involved in the most robust and the most important, like the, the core sectors of our economy. Then you flip over and look at the real estate market, it's on ice. I, I, just, I just don't understand. Now, I could be proven wrong. I just don't understand how you can have this backdrop in an environment without a serious recession. And by serious, I don't mean, again, Great Depression area. I just mean, you know, not a two-quarter blip, you know, where you're going to see some pain. You're going to see some defaults. You're going to see some bankruptcies. You're going to see an increase in the unemployment rate. I just, I, just don't, I just don't see it as possible. And I could certainly be wrong. But, you know, especially in this marketplace. But I just don't, I just, the other thing too, guys, and again, this is anecdotal as well. But I just kind of got a piece about it over the last couple weeks where I just sat there and I went, Zach, why are you so worried about being wrong? You know, you know what you see, right? You know what's going on. Just stick to your guns, you know, and, and... Take advantage of opportunities when you see them, but stick to your guns. You know what's going on. And and this is the game, guys, that happens in every cycle. At the beginning of every bull market, there's every reason not to believe it. At the end of every bull market, there's every reason available not to believe it. It, It's just the way this works, right? And and if you're right, you're going to doubt it constantly. Go back and watch The Big Short, right? Go back and watch how their bets against housing were going against them even while housing was going down. It's there's always doubt that comes with it. But sometimes, you know like I've said, there's times where you need to be watching the market and let the market tell you what to do and let the mar- and then there's times where I think you need to ignore it. And I'm still of the firm belief that we need to be investing in the things that we believe in. We need to be investing in the things that that are not speculative that we're buying because of value and cash flows and things that are real and I think that we need to avoid all of the things that don't fit that criteria and if you were wondering companies that are growing at less than 5% trading at 40 to 50 times revenue that is not something that fits the st- that, that 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 fits the bill of what the kind of stuff that we want not in this environment what we want is stalwart companies that have beautiful balance sheets that can survive any storm that are well managed, that have good businesses that can do well in any environments, and most importantly in this environment, businesses that were buying at a discount. like you think about it this way, and it's funny because the the stock market never seems to be looked at this way. But if you were out there, let's take stocks out of it and just say you're out there shopping for a house or for a business right now. At the very least, if you're gonna buy a business in this environment, you, you might very well be willing to do that, but what are you going to want? You're going to want a really good deal. Why are you going to want a good deal? Because of everything that's going on, right? If you're going to be a buyer, if you're going to have a significant outlay of capital, a significant introduction uh, 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 or exposure to risk, it needs to at least be on good terms, right? In this environment. So then we look over the stock market and everybody is crawling over each other to buy these companies that are still trading at ridiculous values and whose growth metrics are drying up. It's just not a good, it's not a good mix. And you know, the more shots I get taken at me on social media for, Oh, you're wrong. And you know, one guy was telling me, I think I mentioned this last one guy was telling me I was contrary and in indicator. And I was like, okay, so you were up 40% last year. Cause you went short tech and got long energy. You're a loyal listener to our show and you you want me to believe that you're the person that thought up that that and and if you if you had a year where you were up 40% because you did what we were talking about um how could I possibly be a contrary indicator for you um but anyway and, and I don't say that to be arrogant I just say that I, I, again, all of these things, and it's anecdotal, but all of these things are not the types of attitudes. It's not types of action. It's not the type of buying that you see at bottoms. It's just not. Again, we could be proven wrong, but you know that's where we're at. Um, another one that we want to take a look at, it, you know, and this is kind of a longer market update segment. But one of the other things we want to watch: the dollars making a little bit of a comeback. Um, I. And that looks justified too. I think the dollar ripped too high when we were calling it one of the horsemen of the apocalypse. Ironically, when we started calling it one of the horsemen of the apocalypse, it was right around these levels. And this is the thing. That's the other reason why I'm I'm convinced this isn't over you're not if the dollar index was around like 95, 94 right now, I'd be more receptive to the idea that this could possibly be a reacceleration of some kind at the beginning of a new bull market. But with the dollar index above 103, you're still very much in a red line position. This is not good for global economies. You know then you combine that with higher interest rate. It's just not good for global economies. This does not help or aid economic growth. And that's the other thing that I think is ironic. Every time we get a better than expected inflation report, the market rallies. And I'm like, guys, inflation is decelerating because we're going into recession. And, but it does feel to me like the market is starting to snip this out a little bit. You know, like, like when we popped above the 200-day moving average on the NASDAQ, part of me was like, oh, hold on, man. We could blast off here. But we didn't. It's actually fizzling. And we're moving back the other way. So we'll, we'll we'll continue to watch how this plays out. And and if these are the thoughts you're having, guys, what you need is risk management. You know you need to know you're gonna be good either way. Give us a call. 866-779-RISK and 866-779 risk. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, board dot You guys know the drill. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio Podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com.
0: Do better in bull markets. Do better in bear markets pay less fees in all markets. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. You can subscribe to Zach's free newsletter, the Bulwark Insider Report, at knowyourriskradio.com. We're talking to
2: Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital and host of Know Your Risk Radio. Zach, what's the number one concern with people's investments right now?
1: Without a doubt, it's inflation. And it's here with all the money printing from the Fed and long period of zero interest rates. The bills come and do, and inflation's going up. And when inflation rises, bonds get smoked. We've been saying it for years. If you're using bonds in the old school 60 40 mix with stocks as the safe portion of your portfolio, you're taking a risk in today's inflationary environment. So, what should our listeners do? If you're worried about inflation, we believe that you should consider getting out of bonds and get educated with Bulwark's bond replacement strategy. We teach you exactly how to do it in our free booklet, Common Sense Investing. Learn how to protect your portfolio against loss, but still seek to grow your assets. Call Zach
2: now for your free copy of Common Sense Investing, 866-779-RISK, or go to KnowYourRiskRadio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client services agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor.
0: You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital
1: Management. And we are back. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Another one that we want to keep an eye on is uranium. Uranium's really catching a bit. And I think I'm hesitant with uranium because we've been waiting for this for so long. But it's just starting to behave differently. Really, there's really nothing else at highs right now. Over the past two years, energy is not at a high. It's not far off, but it's not at a high. Gold isn't at a high. Gold miners aren't at a high. Tech is obviously not at a high. Uh, bonds are not at a high. Um, you flip over and look at uranium, and, and, and a couple of those uranium companies are trading right next to breakout areas, very close to their highs. over the Now, not all of them, but a couple of the bellwethers are. And I want to name the names because I don't want to give recommendations. But um, that's interesting. That's interesting to me because the situation in, in uranium is an if not, or excuse me, is a when not if. Meaning that industry is very, very undersupplied, and it's kind of like oil in that same situation where it, it, it. I think it's costing you right around. Let's see, what is it to produce a pound of uranium? I think it's costing right around sixty-five dollars. Current market price is like fifty-one. So. And, and supply has, obviously, supply has dried up dramatically. And with all this new discussion of, you know, new reactors coming online, building new reactors in all these different parts of the world, uh, that consumption is only going to go up. And the bottom line is we still just don't have enough uranium. So um, on the oil energy side, I'm excited to get Tracy back on the show um, Probably dial up Josh Young at some point in the next month as well to to dig back into that. But again, I you know I still think you're seeing a little pressure on the price of oil. It's it's been surprisingly non volatile lately, just kind of hanging out in the in the seventy five to eighty range. But we got to put that in context. Remember, China's still not opened up. Biden is still dumping a million of barrels of oil on the, from the SPR every single day. Mm-hmm. Both of those things have to stop at some point in the next year. Or so. Yeah, I you know, I think that there are, you might see some demand destruction as the economy enters recession, but I think that's going to be more than counterweighted by the ending of the SPR or release of the SPR and China coming back online. So, we'll have to we'll have to see there. But the, you know, the one thing I think that is guys, well, I think it should have been proven over the last 2 years. And and, and I really mean this. And I've said this before, but I really want to reiterate it. What you should have learned over the last two years is not that bulwark and Zach Abraham are the paragon of virtue. And they're the only ones that can navigate you through choppy financial waters. Not that we have all the answers. What what you should have learned from the last two years for the vast majority of you is the portfolios that you have are wrong. They're constructed incorrectly. And if you learn nothing else from last year, This, like the one piece of credibility, I think, I think we probably earned a lot more than one piece, but the one piece of credibility that I think is undeniable is us warning about the bond problem for so many years since we first came on the radio, get out of bonds. They're not going to pay you anything and you're just waiting to lose. Well, by and large, and there's a few things that didn't end as bad. I was talking to a client that actually had a bond fund that returned decent returns It was basically flat on the year last year. I haven't got a chance to look into it but it, the only way that that was possible is if they went extremely short duration on everything. So I'm assuming that's what they did. But you know, average bond portfolios last year, you know, you're down 20% plus in the same year where the s and is down 20%. Okay. Now this has happened several times over the last 15 years, but your portfolio is built on the idea that bonds go up when stocks go down. That you've got a built-in defense mechanism. That didn't work. It didn't work in 08, 09. It didn't work last year. You've seen the the run of the uh, of bonds and stocks being correlated. They're moving together. I still think bonds, by and large, are a bad bet. I like Treasuries right now, especially over the next year, possibly two. But outside of that, they're a bad bet. Why? Because I don't think the yields are high enough to make to, to to make sense for any of the risk you're taking. There's still a ton of risk out there, guys, and and and. I don't believe we've seen the bottom of it. I don't even think, I think we're kind of in the eye of the storm. I don't think we've seen the worst of this yet. Not even close. So the one, I'm not saying you should invest according to that statement and go short the market and put your money under a mattress or not. What I'm saying is what you should have learned is the composition, the behavior of your portfolio is not what you were sold it to be. It's not as it was presented. It doesn't work the way you were told it was supposed to work. It didn't protect you the way it was supposed to protect you last year. You need something different. We need something that can make more money to the upside. We're not constantly being drugged down by the, the historically low rate of per, uh, interest we're getting paid of our bond portfolio. We need to get more upside protection, but we also need to have a portfolio that can stand up to any economic storm. And I mean that. Look at the economic storms you have dealt with in the last two and a half, three years. Unprecedented. Look at the setup of the world today. Unprecedented amount of geopolitical risk and different pieces you have moving around the board. I can't tell you how it's all going to play out. Nobody does. But what I can tell you is that I think your ability to manage risk and avoid catastrophic losses is going to be integral, especially over the next three to five years, about your long-term financial viability. Okay? And you know You've been proven that the portfolio you've got right now doesn't cut it. So the question shouldn't be do I need to make a change? The question should be what change do I need to make? Well what change you need to make is you need to quit getting on a ride that you can ride for free but you're paying for it. which is the traditional buy and hold approach. just hold on over the long run. It, we've proven to you over and over guys, it's a broken model. You need risk management. You need to know that you're okay regardless of what happens. You need to know that we can aggressively make money if inflation continues to be a problem. You also need to know that if a big deflationary event occurs or world war breaks out, that you're not ruined financially. You need to be good either way. This shouldn't be a controversial statement. As a matter of fact, it boils my blood that more people don't discuss this. You need to have a portfolio that can be You know, flat to down five, maybe six in a really nasty year like last year. And we've already made up almost half of that this year. We're basically flat. That's the kind of portfolio you should have. We can do it, guys. There's a better way. Lower risk, more upside, less fees. Give us a call or call somebody, for God's sake. Don't just sit there waiting for the next punch to land. Okay, because... They're winding up. It's coming. It's coming. So you can either be prepared and protected or not. But my whole point is we can get cheaper. When we can get way safer and still have more upside potential, why wouldn't you do that? The answer is you you would. So give us a call, 866-779-RISK. Again, 866-779-RISK. Go to the radio show website, knowyourriskradio.com, bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com, you guys know the drill, and as always, keep your eye out for, for, um, for new interviews dropping this week. Like I said, because of what's happened in the family and, 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 and family constraints and things of that nature, I wasn't able to drop the interviews this week that we wanted to, so we're going to double up next week. We're going to have more content. It's going to be a know-your-risk extravaganza. You're not going to want to miss it. So anyway, we're going to have those dropping next week, but we got to run have a fantastic week. God bless you all. We'll see you next week. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com.